Test, test. Good morning, everybody. Um, before we get into the message, I feel a prompting to pray for people who have severe pain. Um, and I, I just want to be obedient to that leading. So if you're struggling with severe or constant pain, let's, let's, I'd ask you to stand and let's gather around these real quickly and just ask the Lord for miracles. <laughs> let's give, give them time to stand, I guess. Yeah. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the challenges we face in life. And uh, we want to lift these people up to you now in our family of faith who battle incredible pain. We ask, Father, that you would be especially close to these in their battle, and Father, that in the night hours especially, that you would draw close and minister your healing and your grace and your power. We just want to say that we know you are a miracle-working God, and with the blink of an eye or at the beginning of a smile, you can set these free from this consuming pain, Lord. I pray that in the night hours they would also know that they have a family of faith who loves them and remembers them and prays for them. So, Father, we, we ask for a special ch- touch for these. Lord, we ask for miracles of healing. We pray those um, synapses and those uh, nerve endings and everything that's sending pain messages to the brain would just stop in Jesus' name. We pray for those with chronic pain, Lord, its own disease. We pray for healing in Jesus' name. We pray for backs, shoulders, knees, uh, so on, Lord, neck, fingers, hands, shoulders, pain. We just pray, Lord, that you would set these free and we'll give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, good morning again, everyone. Um, I want to direct your attention this morning to the subject of fools and foolishness and the lessons that we can learn from fools even as established believers. I don't know why the Lord asked me to preach this message. I don't know why Bill didn't, you know, isn't preaching this. But um, Hallett texted me and said, what are you preaching on? And I said, fools and foolishness, uh, good luck picking songs that go with that. And he texted back and said, foolishness, huh? I think I can do that. But seriously, I've had a strong leading to talk about this subject, uh, that we can take some inventory of ourselves and make sure we aren't falling backwards. Um, 
and walk more intentionally and righteously before the Lord. As we dig in, we'll discover that there's a wrong kind of fool, but there's also a right kind of fool, and thus the title. The wrong kind of fool is described most thoroughly in what book? Book of Proverbs. And uh, there are three Hebrew words that are translated fool in that book. The most frequent Hebrew word occurs 49 times, and it means a dull and closed mind, thick-headed and stubborn, unwilling to learn or receive information from others or God. Three times a second word is used, and this word means more along the lines of one who lacks spiritual perception. Uh, I think we could extrapolate that out to um, be someone who rejects any non-material way of knowing reality. In other words, there is no invisible world. I only am going to believe what I can uh, touch or see with my own senses. And the third word adds a layer of connotation, which means the person is arrogant and, um, and flippant, dismissive of new information. He's coarse and hardened in his ways. Before we look at the right kind of foolishness, um, let's dig a little deeper into the characteristics of the wrong kind of fool. The Bible stops just short of calling this kind of fool plain and simple stupid. <laughs> David described himself uh, when he was in rebellion to God as, I was like a beast toward thee. And I know that when I'm in a place of rebellion or I'm fighting with the Lord or I'm uh, uh, sinning in some way, and then I repent, I have that same feeling and thought in my mind, Lord, I was like a beast toward thee. Can any of you relate to that? Yeah. So, again, the title is The Right Kind of Fool. I'm going to highlight four qualities first, though, of the wrong kind of fool. The first quality is that a fool rejects God's authority. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now I find it interesting that this scripture says that the fool says to himself, there is no God, but it doesn't say he believes or he's certain that there is no God. I don't know if you remember a message I preached a while back that cited the largest religious study in America from Baylor University that asked people about their belief in God. And this study um, came up with the number that only 5% of our population are true atheists. Many atheists who say they're atheists are actually agnostics. They they don't know what they believe. They believe God exists, but they don't know who God is. So really, we're, if that study is true, we're probably only talking about 5% of our population 
that truly do not believe God exists. So my contention is that when the fool says in his heart there is no God, he's saying it not because he doesn't believe God, because he uh, doesn't believe God exists, but more because he doesn't want to acknowledge God's authority. He doesn't want to acknowledge God's authority because then he has to do something with that. But taken at face value, this verse is asserting that true atheists are indeed fools. People who reject God's authority are described in the word as in the flesh, hostile to God, the wicked, self-willed, and under the wrath of God. Here's a verse from 2 Peter that um, says that this foolish mindset, those that have this mindset are those who indulge in the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring and self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Let me give you an example of this. Um, May 7th is the National Day of Prayer. It's coming up. But what I didn't know, and I suspect you don't know, is that on that day there is a lesser-known holiday also, and it's known as the National Day of Reasoning. And it's a celebration created by the American Humanist Association. It was started in 2003 in order to protest the fact that the nation goes to prayer as a nation to God. In 2005, a New York City-based Center for Atheism went a step further and decided to donate blood as a group in order to, quote, make a public statement about the life-affirming ideas of non-believers. Now think about this with me. How symbolic and ironically tragic that a group would shed their own blood on the very day our nation acknowledges God, who we know sent his own son to die on the cross and pour out his blood for the remission of our sins and theirs. This strikes me as an act of defiance to God, whether they know what they're doing or not. This is a reviling of the divine majesty in such a physical and profound way. Only our clever and vain enemy could inspire such a vile atrocity in the guise of a public good, the giving of blood. Romans 2 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, 
they became fools. But thankfully, the Word of God is so clean and pure and simple and even full of joy. In Psalm 100, it declares that God does exist and that He is God. And He created us, not we ourselves. Let's read this together. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. The Lord with gladness come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful psalm? So simple, so joyous, declaring that God exists, that He is God, that He made us. We are not We were not made by light reflecting off a rock. That's not our origin. Our origin is the living God. Amen? The wrong kind of fool rejects God and refuses to come under His authority, whereas the wise know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. So the first quality of a fool is that he rejects the authority of God. The second quality is that fools scoff at the notion of sin or the reality of sin. Proverbs 14.9 says, Fools mock at sin. Fools mock at sin. But the wise woman, the wise man, takes sin very seriously, understanding that the fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom, but the fear of the Lord is also the hatred of evil. Sin separates us from God. Let's just think about the consequences of sin. Sin separates us from God. It blinds us to God's goodness, doesn't it? It grieves the Holy Spirit. It strips us of our spiritual power. And as we read in Romans 2, it it darkens our minds. And in its wake, sin brings us a pervasive sense of guilt. It brings us a sense of disqualification. And it brings us isolation from others. Sin woos us. It entices us. It It deceives us, it distracts us, it entangles us, and it seeks to rule and reign over us. Sin is progressive. I keep getting the mental image of a kid with his finger in the dike. And, uh, you know, as water flows, whatever it flows through gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Its end game is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I think this is where we as believers can do some soul searching. Do we somehow mock at sin by not taking it as seriously as we should? Do we allow little foxes of sin to run freely around in our lives, destroying the vine? Do we tolerate a little sin 
though no sin is little, because we like a little sin. Our personal favorites especially. The Apostle Paul said, should we continue to sin that grace may abound? May it never be. May it never be, he says. And I want to show you a verse here from 1 Peter. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your former ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, knowing that you were redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Let us not return to the folly of sin, for this is one way that fools mock at sin. As the scriptures say, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Quality number two that we're looking at in the wrong kind of fool is that fools mock at sin. A third quality is that fools hate wisdom and instruction. Fools hate wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs could be summed up in these verses that are in front of you, 1, 7, and 3, 5, and 6. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. But this has been exactly reversed in our day. Nowadays, the part of a man that a man does assert is exactly the part that he ought not to assert himself. The part he doubts is exactly the part that he ought not to doubt. That is divine truth. So here's another point where I think we can take stock and look at our lives and make sure we're not returning to the playground of fools. And that is thinking that we are wise and self-sufficient. We have God in our lives. We need not pray about much. We can just think our way through things with our sanctified common sense. God becomes a nice hood ornament or bumper sticker on our cars. So the question I want to raise is, are we praying over everything and not trusting in ourselves? This is a way we can avoid being like a fool the wrong kind of fool. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than there is for him. Fools hate wisdom and instruction. May we instead be lifelong learners, always turning into the Lord, accepting and eagerly embracing His wisdom his instruction, his discipline, and reproof. Here's the last quality, quality number four. Fools love to talk and hate to listen. Fools are obsessed with their mouths. James 1.19 says, My beloved brethren, let every man be quick to listen 
slow to speak and slow to anger, and yet fools lead with their mouths, not their ears. Um, Here are some verses. Words from the lips of a wise man are gracious, but the words of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. Think about our politicians. You know, uh, they just have to continually talk and talk and talk, and then they get caught saying something that was really foolish. And I don't think, I think any of us who were put in that position would say something foolish, something that would come back to bite us. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. He who restrains his words has knowledge. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. And when he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Now, many of you have heard this quote from Abraham Lincoln, sometimes attributed to Mark Twain, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. So let me ask you, here's another place, I think even as established believers, we can look at ourselves and reflect Are you a talker or a listener? Which are you really? Do we put the other person first when we're in a conversation? Are we asking others questions to learn from them and let them express themselves? Or are we only interested in revealing our own minds? Remember, that is the quality of a fool. By contrast, this is such a beautiful verse. The Lord has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Well, enough of the wrong kind of fool. Let's look for just quickly at a different kind of fool, the right kind of fool. After all this, if we keep digging in the Word, we find that God is not looking for an absence of foolishness, but He's looking for that different kind of fool, that right kind of fool. He's looking for those who believe in His foolishness, those who set all their hope, all their trust, all their confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to read 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18. Very familiar passage. You might just want to close your eyes and meditate as I read this passage. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The right kind of fool believes in the foolishness of God, the cross of Jesus Christ. The right kind of fool also is eagerly being taught by the Holy Spirit. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. A natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, but he can, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. He himself is appraised by no man. We have the mind of Christ. So contrary to the fool who says there is no God and there's nothing to be known other than the material world, we understand that there's an invisible world and we want to understand that reality uh, and eagerly seek the Lord in that reality. Finally, the right kind of fool is willing to be dishonored by Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is defending his apostleship and he says this, I think God has exhibited, exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, he says. While you are wise in Christ, we are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. And then he goes through a a long list of hardship and toil and slander And he says, I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I exhort you, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let us determine this morning that we will be the right kind of fools. Amen? We'll be those who embrace God's authority. We'll be fools for Christ who walk in the fear of the Lord. We'll be uh, fools for Christ who take sin 
very seriously. We'll be fools for Christ who will love wisdom and instruction. We'll be fools for Christ who listen more than we talk. We'll be fools for Christ who are constantly trying to listen carefully to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We'll be fools who are willing to be dishonored in this world because we believe in God's foolishness, the cross of Jesus Christ. May we be fools for Christ because the gospel is at the center and the very forefront of our lives. Not just an ornament, not just a bumper sticker, not just something we add to our identity to have a well-rounded personhood. But may this be the, the forefront, the gem, the pearl of great price that's at the very center of our hearts, the very center of our minds, the very center of our behavior. Let us be the right kind of fools. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the wrong kind of fools and also from these, these exhortations about the right kind of foolishness. I bless your people, Lord. Help us to walk more intentionally, more righteously before you. And we want to say, Lord, we just love your word. We just love you. We love your word. Thank you that you never give up on us. That when we stray and become foolish or sin, you reel us back in, Lord. And you show us uh, the right way once again. And so we just praise you for your love. We just praise you for your grace. And we pray that in the future we would um, be the right kind of fools. In Christ's name, amen.